Well, good morning. Very glad to see you all. If you uh, don't know me, I'm Andrew. I'm the senior pastor here. And uh, somewhere last week, I tweaked my back. Have you ever done that? And I don't even remember what I was doing, but I woke up one morning and went, okay. So I went to the chiropractor and um, had a little bit of relief, probably overdid it over this weekend. And so if I look like I'm not quite right, it's okay. (laughs) We'll all get through this together and it will be good. If you have your Bibles, you can open them. We're continuing in our series looking at our shared member values. These are just values that we say as members of Meadows Christian Fellowship, we want to hold these together. We want to share these with one another. We want to live out of the light of the biblical teaching on these values. And so we've just been looking at them one at a time, spending about a month on each one, praying at the end of the month. And so I just want to remind you that as we come to our Family Fellowship Sunday, which will be May 30th, I'm praying for a day much like today where the sun is shining, maybe with a little less chance of rain as we get through the afternoon, but I'm just praying that we'll be able to gather outside. We want to do that so that we can all come together wherever you're at on the COVID spectrum. Uh, We can gather together outside. Masks will be optional. There will be plenty of space, and we're just hoping to get everybody together. Because that's one of our goals for this summer, is that 100% of those of us that call Meadows home would be able to gather together. And so our Family Fellowship Sunday is coming. We'll be praying about humility out of Micah 6.8 on that Sunday. But this morning I want to look at James chapter 4 because we're looking at this value of humility. And uh, when I started to uh, just build out this sermon... I was going to talk on kind of the key verse in James. And so I want to focus us on verse 6 of chapter 4. But um, the more that I wrestled with verse 6 and how to apply it to our lives in the context of James 4, I go, no, we really need the whole chapter. Because it tells us some very specific things about how we can identify the antithesis of humility in our lives, which is pride. So we want to be able to identify pride in our lives. Then we want to be able to know how do we want to respond from God's perspective to pride in our lives, and then what's the result as we grow in humility. Jonathan Edwards said in his response to uh, a revival that was going on in Northampton, Massachusetts, he says this, he says, the first and worst cause of error that abound in our day and age is spiritual pride. This is the main door by which the devil comes into the hearts of those who are zealous for the advancement of Christ. It is the chief inlet of smoke from the bottomless pit to darken the mind and mislead the judgment. Pride is the main handle by which he has hold of Christian persons and the chief source of all the mischief that he introduces to clog and hinder a work of God. Spiritual pride is the main spring or at least the main support of all other errors. 
Until this disease is cured, medicines are applied in vain to heal all other diseases. John Stott says, pride is your greatest enemy, humility is your greatest friend. And then C.S. Lewis just adds his voice. He says this, according to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all of that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. Can we, can we just get our minds around that this morning? Pride is the doorway. Pride is the source of all other sin. Pride is the inlet. Pride is the main handle. Pride is the primary tool of Satan. And so, lest we think we're exempt, can we just go, okay, this, this is true from the beginning of the world until today and until Jesus comes again. Pride is at the core of all sin. Pride is the gateway to sin. So this morning, I, I just want to contend that humility then, if it is the antithesis of pride... Many would say, well, then, then humility is the, is the doorway to virtue. It is the doorway to goodness. But goodness and virtue is not the opposite of sin. Grace is. So I want to contend this morning from our text that humility, pursuing a humble state of mind, pursuing this willingness to examine our actions and attitudes and affections in light of Scripture so that with increasing consistency we can exalt Christ and serve one another, that humility is the gateway to God's grace. And I don't know about you, but I desire more of God's grace. Like nothing in life happens without God's grace poured out to us. So often, I think uh, we believe that grace kind of ends at salvation, but there's nothing in our life that comes to us that has any good whatsoever other than by God's grace. And humility is the gateway of God's grace. Our key verse this morning, that verse 6 in James chapter 4, it says, but he gives more grace. I love it every time biblical authors speak of more grace. I, I love it in First Peter when Peter says, his grace is multiplied to you, lavished upon you. I, I love it in Hebrews 4 where there's this bold invitation, come confidently into the throne room because there you're going to find Mercy and grace to help in your time of need. I don't know where you're at in your life right now, but I I wonder, is it a time of need in your life? And if so, grace, God's grace is the answer. This uh, verse goes on to say, therefore it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This is a quote from Proverbs 3.34 where the 
The writer of Proverbs says, Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. This idea of grace is that he pours out his favor on us. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humility is the gateway to God's grace. It's interesting how pride and humility take on a kind of center stage focus in James's writing. So just as James opens his book in chapter 1, he says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. So this idea of our desires drawing us away is a core theme in James. He says, then desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. That's how sin works. It it flows out of the desires that we all have within us. In our text today, James will say that those desires are at war within us. There are competing desires in our hearts, even after we come to faith in Jesus Christ. We still have fleshly desires that pull at us. That can be encouraged by Satan. That work against Christian progress. In another place in chapter 1, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Oh, what a great promise, especially in light of the day we live in. Though I would argue that today isn't as hard as it is for the believers that James was written to. They were living through much more difficult times. And yet the word is no less true. It says, when you meet these trials of various kinds, you know that it's for the testing of your faith. And as we live through them well in light of Christ, walking in humility as grace is poured out to us, steadfastness is produced. He goes on to say, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. We need wisdom in this day, don't we? These are confusing times. And God says, just ask, because my goal is that through these difficulties, your faith will be tested, and what will result is steadfastness. But you need wisdom to navigate that. Again, in James 1, he says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Here's here's the good news of remaining steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. That's the result. So James, again, couches humility in this context of exaltation. We'll get to James 4.10, and we'll, we'll see that those who humble themselves, he will exalt them. We saw that beautifully in Christ last week. We saw that in our text in Matthew. It's just fascinating to me how often humility is put in the context of exaltation. And here in chapter 1, James describes what that exaltation is. 
he will receive the crown of life. You want to have a sense of what's in store for you? Look at Jesus. Consider his exaltation and ours will be modeled after his. We will be lifted up. We will be placed in a position of significance and honor over our enemies. We will receive the crown of life. So James says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. He says, and receive with humility. Meekness and humility are not necessarily synonymous, but he uses a word here that can go either way in the Greek. So with humility, with meekness, receive the implanted word. James says humility is this willingness to examine, correct, and direct our own actions, attitudes, and affections according to the implanted word, the scriptures, so that with increasing consistency we can exalt Christ and serve one another. Isn't that what we desire? But he says, be careful, don't, don't just be hearers of the word, you actually have to put it in action. You can't just listen. Though we have to hear the word in order to do it, it just can't stop at hearing, it must go on to doing. So humility is this willingness to examine to correct and direct our own actions, attitudes, and affections according to the Scriptures so that with increasing consistency we exalt Christ and serve others. And when we pursue humility, the gateway of God's grace is opened to us. So with that as our backdrop, let's just read chapter 4 together and then we'll come back and look at a couple of specific things. This isn't going to be on the screen behind me. You can listen. You can follow along in your own copy of the Scriptures. You can follow along on the app by scanning that QR code. He says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. 
Humble yourselves, therefore, before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say today... Or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Now I just want to back up and start again at verse 1 and just unpack some of these things. So he begins with, if this antithesis to humility is pride, how do we identify pride in our lives? He gives us two ways to really consider what place pride plays in our lives. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? This is the grace of God by his word. Have you ever wondered what is it that causes these tensions that we feel in our hearts? What is it that caused you to argue with your spouse just this week? What is it that caused that disagreement between you and a boss? What is it that really stirred up some dissension between you and a brother or a sister in the faith or in your family? By God's grace, he tells us, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Oh, those desires that stir within us that are competing with what the Spirit of God has done in us. He goes on to say what, what really stirs that up is our desires to satisfy those passions in us, to spend it on ourselves. But in between, he gives us two things that we need to consider. First, we can identify pride or the gateways of pride by taking a good look at relationships. When's the last time you just really did a good inventory of your relationships in your life? in your family, in our church, in your workplace? When was the last time you actually spent some time quietly, prayerfully, reflecting on how you feel toward people? This might be a dangerous challenge, but I hope that you'd consider it. Would you just pray through your family members this week? And just pay attention to what's going on in your heart. Pay attention to what's going on in your mind. Just be a little bit more alert in terms of how you're interacting with people. Because while quarrels and fights do spring from this, that's the, that's the outward action. We can uh, have quarrels and fights in our minds, can't we? I know that I have. Where you don't actually say the words because you know, okay, I could probably not get away with that, but you think the words. So I just challenge you would, you, would you take a relational inventory in your life? 
And maybe even beyond family, would you consider maybe praying through the Breeze list of who's in our church? Would you open up the Breeze app and go, okay, all regular attenders, and just begin to think and pray about the people in our church and what is stirred up in you? Because if there's that little tick of, oh yeah, I'd like to say this to that person. Yeah, we've had a disagreement, we've had a quarrel, we've had a fight. Just say it's an identifier of pride. It's something to consider. So what are the tensions in relationships that you're acting on right now? What are the places where you go, there's just not peace between us? What are the tensions that are coming to your mind as you're thinking about this right now? Has God brought a a, a name or a face or a person to mind that you go, oh yeah, that's that person? Maybe you're sitting next to that person right now. Maybe they're in the room with us right now. Maybe they're not, but God is stirring in your mind and heart. Oh, here's a relationship that has tension in it. And he's asking us to consider, is there pride? As you think about those relationships and what drives your response to those people, would you just consider the passions that are warring in you? Is it that you want your opinion to be heard or even just valued? Is it that you, you need comfort or some sort of reassurance right now from that person that you're just not getting? Is it that you're just not seeing things the same way? Now, I'm not saying that every point of tension is an indicator of pride. It's the indicator of potential pride that we need to examine. And God calls us to live at peace with all people, and so he's calling us to examine this tension. Why? Because he wants us to pursue humility so he can pour out his grace to us. So it is possible to be at tension with someone because they have not realized pride in their life. But see, it's not our job to deal with someone else's pride. We can lovingly come to a brother or sister and say, hey, I I think this might be a spot, but we cannot repent for that person. We can't confess for that person. We can't pursue humility for that person, but we can for ourselves. So even before we go to someone else, will you examine your own heart? Will you examine the potential places of pride for you? Those passions that are unsatisfied that when we don't turn to Christ in humility, when we don't examine those things, when we don't correct those things, when we don't direct those things in light of Scripture, we're walking through the doorway of pride. 
the doorway which leads to sin, which leads to death. Humility is the gateway of God's grace which leads to wisdom, which leads to steadfastness, which leads to exaltation, which is the crown of life. So as much as it depends on you, will you examine where there's areas of pride in your life by thinking about, evaluating, carefully considering the relationships you have with other people. He goes on. In verse 1 he says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Hey, take stock of your relationship. Is it not that your passions are at war within you? Try to identify those. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, and so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Here we go. We need to evaluate the relationships in our lives. Those are the pressure points that bring about pride in us that we can identify, and then we can pursue humility. But one other area that we should examine is how are we praying? How are your relationships with people? And then how are you praying? Because James says you you don't have the relief that you're seeking from God because you haven't asked. Or if you have asked, you've asked with the wrong motives. So again this week, I just want to challenge you. Would you consider not only your relationship with people, but would you consider how are you praying? What is it that you ask God for? And, and is it in line with the Word of God? What, what is it that you're asking Him for? And then think about it. If, if God were to answer this prayer, would, would He be really thrilled about how to answer this prayer? Would it be in line with His Word? Would it lead to His glory? The other thing to ask is, are you seeing answers to your prayers? Okay, God answers prayer. But I think so often we, we see no answer to prayer and, and we, we don't really evaluate our prayer life. We evaluate God or we evaluate others or we, we don't look at ourselves to go, okay, what am I really asking for? And is that in line with what God is saying? Because I don't see answers to this prayer. What have you prayed for in the last month and what has God said to you? The scriptures tell us that God is a good father who knows how to give good gifts to his children. And over and over and over and over and over, the scripture says, if we ask, he will give. So what are you asking for? And have you seen answers? And if you haven't, how else could you pray? Related to evaluating your relationship with others, can I just ask you to consider how are you praying for others? Well, Pastor Andrew, I love to pray the imprecatory psalms. I love to ask God to rain down fire on my neighbor. (laughs) 
Okay, what's stirring in you that leads you to pray that way? Pray for those who persecute you. How easy is that? Not very easy. But I tell you what, how you pray for those who persecute you will reveal whether or not you're walking in pride or humility. How do you pray for the governing authorities over you? How you pray for the governing authorities over you will reveal if you're walking in pride or humility. How are you praying for the leaders of this church? It will reveal if you're walking in pride or humility. How are you praying for one another in this church? It will reveal whether you're walking in pride or humility. And here's the beautiful promise of God. When we walk in humility, it's a throwing open of the doors of His grace. But He gives more grace. He's never short on grace. He's never stingy with His grace. He longs to. He desires to just pour out His grace on your life. His loving kindness, which you do not deserve, He longs to pour that out on you. He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Well, why does it say that? What's God's motivation to oppose the proud? Well, He's angry, and they're stealing something from Him. Well, maybe. But that's not His character. Yes, He is holy. Yes, He is just. Yes, He is supreme. Yes, He is all that He is, far more and above any other thing. So yes, on one hand, He can't endure pride. He he must reject pride. And yet, that's not His core motivation because we know that God is love. So everything that He is functions in love. Oh, you adulterous people, Oh, you people that run away from God. Oh, you people that cheat on God. God is not an add-on to our life. Like everything else that we try to tack on our lives and we go, okay, well, I have this and I have this and I have this and I have Jesus. No, God is our life. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? It's an either-or proposition. It's not a both-and. We can't love this world and love God at the same time. It's impossible. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy to God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. It's one of the most um, contended verses in the Bible. What does it mean that he jealously yearns for the spirit that he has put in us? There's a verb agreement to consider, and, and there's tense, and there's history of words to consider, but best as I can get it, God says, hey, you know what? I put a special mark on every human being. 
I made you in my image. And so every human being has a touch of the spirit, the the essence of God. Now we could say that he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And yes, of course he would yearn jealously for those he's given the Holy Spirit to. But I think he's talking about humanity. God loves everyone in the world. And he yearns jealously that no one would perish, that all would come to faith in him. That's his earnest desire. And so out of love, because we're all God's masterpiece. We're we're all, every human being is made in the image of God. Oh, that we could embrace that. So those that are different than us or think differently than us or are pursuing things that we would say, that is an abomination. It may be, and yet they are created in the image of God. And he yearns jealously. He has this passionate desire for people. And it's out of that love that he opposes the proud because he knows that that road leads to death. Better than anyone else, the giver of life knows what leads to death. And so he goes, I'm going to oppose that. I'm going to press against that. I'm going to make that difficult for you. If you're going to pursue pride that leads to sin, that leads to death, I'm going to make that hard. So that maybe, just maybe, you'll turn in humility so that I can pour out my grace to you. So that humility can lead to wisdom, can lead to steadfastness, can lead to the crown of life. Life forever in the presence of God. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble because he loves every human being. And he loves you. And so where we're walking in pride, and all of us, all of us are prone to walk in pride. Where we are walking in pride, God is going to be after us because he so desperately wants to pour out his grace to us. So he says, please, would you just evaluate your relationships? Would you evaluate how you pray so that you can identify pride and humility in your lives so that as you walk in humility, I can pour out my grace to you? So how is it that we walk in humility? Verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. All right, that's the first step in walking in humility. Submit to God. Who is the absolute boss of your life? Who gets the final yes or no in your life? Do you submit to God? I think the easiest way to do this is to find the clearest instructions in Scripture and say, am I living those out? When you hear an admonition in Scripture, is it your first reaction to go, am I living that out? Or do we just read the words in this book and and we're just hearers of the Word? Well, that doesn't bring about life. We can hear the Word all day long. 
But unless we're doing the word, unless we're living the word, unless we're allowing the word to dictate our lives, it doesn't change us. Are you submitting to God? Now, now here's what happens. When we submit to God, Satan is very quick to go, I don't want that, I don't like that, because he is bound and determined to keep us separated from God as long as possible. For some, all eternity. And so the devil rushes in and goes, are you sure that God is good? Oh man, that's his favorite question. Are you sure that God is enough to meet that passion in you that is rising up in you, that's causing quarrels and fights in your relationship? Are you sure that God is good enough for that? That's his favorite question. Resist him and he will flee. That is a promise in Scripture. Resist the devil and he will flee from you to continually, consistently, and increasingly to go, no, no, I'm going to make much of Christ and I'm going to serve other people because that's what I'm called to. I'm going to submit to God. To do that with increasing consistency, the devil will leave you alone more and more and more. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What an amazing promise. Do you want to experience the God of the universe in your life? Do you want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you want to see some amazing things happen? Draw near to God. Run into his presence. Spend time with him. Talk about him often. Let your thoughts be drawn to him. Let your words be drawn to him. Let your actions be drawn to him. Well, what keeps us from God? Our sin. So cleanse your hands. What are you hanging on to that keeps you from God? What do you just need to let go of? What do you go, if I'm hanging on to these things, I can't walk into God's presence because he's going to say, hey, what's in your hands? And I don't want him to ask that question. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your addiction. Maybe it's your family and friends. Maybe it's your own comfort. Maybe it's your own safety. Maybe it's your own fill in the blank. What are you holding on to in your hands? Cleanse your hands. Open your hands to God. And then purify your minds. How easy is it for us to be double-minded to say, yes, God, and the renewal of our mind to allow the word to allow other people, to allow conversations about God to actually shape what we think about. To think about things that are lovely. To think about things that are true. To think about things that are excellent and praiseworthy. To think about things that are noble and right. Man, think on these things. Set your mind on the things of God. That's a process, but running to the Lord. Running to our God that loves us, even in the desert. And I would say especially in the desert. 
Will you run to him? Will you go, whatever, whatever you ask, I'm going to do it. I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to draw near to you. I'm going to let go. I'm going to center my mind on you. I'm going to resist the devil. I'm going to run to you. It starts this way. Verse 9, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. That's a hard recipe, isn't it? That's confession and repentance. That's as you evaluate your relationships, as you evaluate your prayer life, when God points out things that need to be set right, do you mourn those things? Do you say, okay, I'm not laughing anymore, Lord. My heart breaks over my sin. My heart breaks over broken relationship. My heart breaks that I'm not seeing answers to prayer. Let your heart break. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And He will exalt you. He'll lift you up. Again, this is a promise from God that if we will humble ourselves before Him, He will lift us up. He will set our feet on a solid rock. He is the lifter of our heads. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against his brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. And there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? In all those words, all he's saying is, If you think you know better than God, you don't. If you think you have a better perspective than God, you don't. If you think you have more authority than God, you don't. If you think you're better than God, you aren't. Humble yourselves before the Lord. So he ends with this. Come now. Come on, you people. Come on, you followers of Jesus. Come. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Maybe you go, hey, I'm not planning a vacation. I don't have any plans to move away and spend a year somewhere else trying to make money. This doesn't apply to me. No, he's just saying, you who are planning your lives, do you know what's on your calendar for tomorrow? Maybe you go, man, I'm not even to this afternoon yet. I'm not even sure when you're going to finish your sermon. Can't even think about tomorrow yet, Pastor Andrew. We make plans all the time. Is God a part of your plans? Because here's here's what he says, what is your life? He graciously answers the question, for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead of always making plans, instead of always trying to set your own course, instead of always planning your path, no matter what, 
Do this instead. Say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Because otherwise, what it leads to is boasting and arrogance. Look at what I've done. Look at the money I made in the next town over. Look at the schedule that I keep. Look at me. Here's what we have to realize. Life is short. Some of you could say, hey, I'm pushing 90. That doesn't seem very short. Well, in light of eternity, it is. And those of you who go, I'm not even close to 90, so don't even put me close to that category, Pastor Andrew. Just know, you don't know what tomorrow brings. None of us is guaranteed long life. And even if we live to see 100 years on this earth, it's a blip in history. Your life is short And God wants you to make a big impact. So that means every moment of every day, we need to be thinking about what does God want me to do with this moment? So we go, okay, relationally, God, what do you want want me to be doing in this moment? It seems like that's a big deal to you that everyone will know that we're your followers if we love each other. That's a big deal to God. Oh, love your neighbor? Oh, that's a big deal to God. Do you know how many times that's emphasized in Scripture? That is a huge deal to God. Okay, God, these are big deals. What do you want me to do? And love God with all your heart. Well, what do you want, God? Hey, I'm going to pray according to your word. I'm going to look for answers. I'm going to adjust my prayer life to make sure it's effective and powerful because you want me to make a big impact with whatever minutes I have in my life. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Those are strong, strong words. I love Francis Chan's illustration. I thought I had a rope in my office that had a painted tip on it. I didn't, and so um, I, I got a picture Francis Chan likes to do this uh, illustration where he has a really, really long rope. And at the very end, he has a little painted portion like on the picture. And he goes, life is short and eternity is long. So, so when you stand before Jesus for the rest of eternity, will he say, hey, you walked a lot in pride and you didn't get much done? Or will he say, wow, thanks for pursuing humility. You walked so well in humility. In humility with relationship. In humility with God. You submitted to God. You chased after him with everything you had. And you made impact. Well done. Here's your crown of life. That's my hope and desire for every one of us today. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you are the God of grace and mercy and peace. I thank you that you are the God who is so generous and lavishes grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. But Father, your word is clear. You do that for those 
who walk in humility before you. May we be those kind of people. Help us to that end, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen.